for bearing with us. Um, uh, my name is Bill Chapin. I am uh, the director of the Alameda Rent Program. Um, I'm joined uh, up here by Michael Rausch. Uh, Michael, your title at the moment is? A special counsel from the city of Alameda. Uh, and this is Ryan Halpern, uh, who's a, uh, another staff member in the rent program, uh, management analyst. Um, the way that we are uh, envisioning uh, tonight going is that Ryan and I are going to uh, start off by making a, a presentation. Uh, a little bit of an overview, just going into uh, what the city's capital improvement plan policy is uh, and the reasonings behind uh, looking at uh, making changes to it. Uh, and then Ryan's going to be going into details on specifically the, uh, the, the specifics of the proposals that staff is uh, currently considering. Um, and then uh, at that point, uh, we will be happy to um, uh, allow uh, folks who are either here in person or watching uh, on Zoom to, uh, to ask questions. Um, uh, we are limiting comments to two minutes, uh, and we're hoping that uh, we, uh, about uh, two hours uh, total for the, uh, for the entire workshop here. Um, so with that, let me launch into uh, the presentation. Um, uh, I first want to give just an overview of uh, what the CIP policy is. Uh, so uh, CIP stands for Capital Improvement Plan, uh, and they are a longstanding provision of the city's rent program. Um, the policy was adopted as a way to encourage investments in certain types of long-term improvements and to help to maintain the quality of the city's rental housing stock while also putting in place certain tenant protections. It allows landlords to submit proof of qualifying improvements um, and then to pass the costs of those improvements on to tenants. Uh, it, but it moderates these costs by spreading them out over long periods of time based on the useful life of the improvements. Um, and it requires landlords to provide relocation assistance uh, if tenants must be displaced either temporarily or permanently. Uh, so uh, just a brief review of uh, how we arrived at the present day here. Um, the CIP policy was passed uh, shortly after uh, the city's original rent stabilization ordinance uh, was passed in 2016. Uh, in 2019, uh, there was a pretty major uh, revision of uh, the rent ordinance uh, that included uh, implementing a, uh, a cap, an annual general adjustment uh, on, um, uh, on rent increases in the city. Uh, at that time, council directed staff to return with recommended, uh, recommended changes to the CIP policy in order to make it consistent with the new ordinance. Um, <clears throat> shortly after that, uh, COVID happened. Uh, there were local moratoriums enacted, and part of those moratoriums uh, prevented landlords from terminating a tenancy or implementing rent increases that were based on approved CIPs. 
nevertheless, staff in 2021 and 2022 did return uh, to council with some recommended changes, uh, but on both occasions, council declined to uh, adopt uh, staff's recommendations and asked staff to instead do some further study and outreach. Uh, then in October of 2022, um, the uh, South Shore Apartments submitted a, uh, a large CIP. Uh, their initial application sought to pass through about $24 million uh, worth of improvements uh, onto the 400 or 50 or so uh, units uh, that are on that, on that property. Shortly after that, the local moratoriums expired. Um, and with uh, a lot of uh, concern about the size of the uh, pass-through on South Shore, uh, as well as the recognizing the need to be able to come up with a final revised CIP policy without having um, the uh, issue of um, uh, additional large CIPs being filed, Council in May decided to enact a moratorium on CIPs for all properties with 25 or more units, and then at that time again directed staff to, uh, to return with some proposed policy updates. Uh, so that is uh, where we are in the process now, um, and we are looking at uh, uh, putting this on the agenda for Council's consideration sometime in October. Um, <clears throat> one reason that I think it has perhaps been difficult for the city to revise the CIP policy is that it, it really is in a lot of ways an attempt to balance a lot of competing interests. Um, the city has an interest in making sure that the housing stock doesn't deteriorate uh, and that tenants have options for good quality housing. Um, the, the thought behind the policy is to try to reduce displacement uh, by, for example, requir requiring temporary relocation and required uh, relocation payments uh, made to tenants. Um, <clears throat> the idea is to encourage renovation and upkeep, including investment uh, in things like seismic safety and energy conservation. Um, and also for the process to serve as a more user-friendly alternative to uh, the, a fair return process when it comes to recovering capital improvement costs. And we'll go into what that means uh, in detail in just a second. Um, <clears throat> on the other hand, there are legitimate arguments uh, against having a CIP policy. Um, the pass-through does increase already high rent burdens on tenants. Uh, there's the potential for increased displacement uh, due to those higher rents. Um, there's often an argument that as business owners, landlords should plan and pay for improvements uh, using the rental income that they are already receiving. Um, and there is uh, some uh, greater uncertainty and therefore housing insecurity uh, that goes along with having something put on top of uh, the uh, annual general adjustment. Um, and then there is this idea of fair return, uh, which is a guaranteed right that is grounded in the Constitution. Uh, fair return is a legal concept that has no specific definition or formula. In the context of rent control, uh, courts have characterized it as a return that's large enough to do things like encourage good management and reward efficiency, for example. 
Um, it is not uh, associated with the idea of market rate or what other landlords are charging. Um, because fair return is constitutionally guaranteed, in order to avoid legal challenges, a city that has implemented rent control has to have systems in place that will allow a landlord uh, to receive a fair return. So when Alameda passed rent control in 2019, it also implemented a petition system which allows landlords to make the case that they are not receiving a fair return and therefore need to have rents adjusted upwards. Um, the petition looks at the landlord's business as a whole, and uh, capital improvements uh, being part of that business is something that can be included in a petition. So these fair return petitions are kind of a, a necessary way of implementing rent control in a way that meets constitutional muster, and that's why pretty much all cities in California with rent control have something similar to this uh, petition uh, system guaranteeing landlords a fair return. Uh, but fewer than half of them also have a separate CIP process from those fair return petitions. Um, so uh, basically, uh, the, the idea I'm getting at here is on, uh, is on the, the last line of this table here is that um, a CIP policy is not required by law, it's optional, but a fair return policy, that is required. Um, both CIPs and fair return petitions essentially provide landlords with ways to increase the rent above and beyond what is allowed by the rent ordinance's normal caps. Um, but there are some differences between the two uh, which are highlighted in this table. So while Neither the current CIP policy nor fair return petitions uh, have a cap on how uh, much a tenant's monthly payments could go up. Um, that could be a part of an updated CIP policy, uh, but uh, there cannot be a cap on fair return, again, because it is constitutionally guaranteed. For CIP, the increase is calculated by taking the cost of the qualifying improvements and then spreading it over their useful life. Fair return petitions typically depend on landlords demonstrating that they need to have their rent adjusted in order to maintain their net operating income. So basically the landlord adds up all their revenue, subtracts their expenses for both the current year and a base year. And then if that net operating income, when it's adjusted for inflation, um, uh, has decreased, um, then the rent has to be adjusted upward uh, in order to maintain that net operating income. Um, <clears throat> once, uh, so with CIPs, once that calculation of the pass-through um, uh, is made, the amount never changes. So, uh, so let's say your rent is $2,000. Uh, and the landlord is approved for a $50 CIP pass-through. Next year, the landlord can increase the $2,000 by the AGA, the Annual General Adjustment, uh, and then they add that $50 on top of that after the $2,000 has been increased. Um, <clears throat> with fair return, the rent itself is adjusted. So if the landlord petitions for and gets a $50 rent increase, your rent goes to $2,050. 
And then the next year, the landlord increases that entire $2,050 by the AGA. Um, so um, that's not too big a difference in that first year, but after multiple years, the differences can compound uh, and add up. Um, while a CIP can be processed administratively by rent program staff, a fair return petition requires a hearing and a determination by an independent hearing officer. For both CIPs and fair return, there are opportunities for a tenant to challenge increases. Uh, with CIP, it's an appeal after the rent program staff makes their determination. With fair return, the tenant has an opportunity to participate in the hearing itself and to present evidence. Um, and uh, the CIP policy includes other tenant protections, including a requirement for re relocation payments if the tenant chooses to find a new home rather than uh, staying and paying the pass-through. With fair return, uh, those relocation payments are only guaranteed if the rent uh, has increased by more than 10% in 12 months. Um, so we'll be coming back to this idea of CIP versus fair return uh, hearings once we get into the specific policy options uh, that staff are weighing right now. That was a lot of information. I hope uh, <laughs> uh, we'll be glad to answer uh, clarifying questions once we get to the Q&A uh, session. Uh, <clears throat> Until recently, all qualifying applications uh, have been for properties with uh, less than 10 units, and most were from landlords who were seeking to terminate a tenancy and permanently relocate the tenants because the work couldn't be completed while the tenants were in the unit. Um, uh, we do have, uh, oh wait, I'm sorry. Um, <clears throat> so, um, uh, another reason that uh, staff has been asked to uh, uh, do a new CIP policy is it just hasn't been that utilized. Uh, as you can see, most of the applications have been denied or withdrawn uh, or suspended due to, the, uh, due to the moratorium that was passed in May. Um, <clears throat> Fair return petitions have only been in place since 2019 rather than 2016, um, uh, but there have been uh, a, a similar uh, number that have been filed. Uh, again, a lot have been withdrawn before they were able to get to hearing. Uh, only one has actually uh, gone all the way to hearing and resulted in an uh, upward adjustment. Uh, and none of those that have gone to hearing to date uh, have included capital improvement uh, costs in the petition, even though that is something that's available to landlords that could be included with a petition. Uh, so when rent program staff receive a CIP application, uh, the law requires uh, the rent program to approve the CIP if it meets objective legal requirements. So the first thing that staff looks at is, do the improvements meet the definition of capital improvements under the local laws that have been passed? Um, secondly, they look at, uh, has the landlord provided sufficient documentation of the work and its costs? And then thirdly, um, there is a cost threshold that is uh, defined in uh, the resolution uh, that was passed back in 2016 
that formula basically works by taking the average rent uh, over the last 12 months, multiplying it by the total number of dwelling units on the property, and then multiplying that by a factor of eight. Um, in practice, this formula creates very large thresholds. So uh, consider, for example, you've got a five-unit building. The average rents are 2500 a month. Um, a project is going to need to be at least $100,000 uh, in order to qualify uh, for the city's CIP uh, policy. Um, I think there is at least the possibility that this can incentivize landlords to add additional work to a project in order to get it up over that threshold. Um, and the other thing to consider is that a large threshold also guarantees a larger pass-through. Um, so in this five-unit example, um, if it is at the bare minimum to meet that threshold, already you're going to be talking about the tenants seeing a more than $100 pass-through on top of uh, the normal annual general adjustment and any banked rent increases uh, that the landlord is doing. Um, if that threshold were half as big, uh, the, uh, a qualifying project could be uh, half of that amount, and then the pass-through uh, would be half that amount. Um, so we, as rent program staff, as we are looking at doing this policy update and bringing it before council, um, Based on the direction that council's given us and the feedback that we've gotten from stakeholders, uh, we feel that the policy should accomplish these six things. Um, it should uh, harmonize the policy with the current rent ordinance uh, that was primarily passed in 2019. It should better balance the priorities and the concerns of both tenants and landlords. It should provide tenants with more protections from large rent increases and permanent displacement. Um, it should continue to provide landlords with fair returns on their capital improvements. Um, it should promote investment in and improvements in the city's housing stock. Um, and it should clarify procedures and simplify the administrative processing of applications. So given all that, uh, what staff is currently considering are uh, two options, which we are calling option A and option B uh, at the moment. Um, I do want to emphasize that these are still just draft proposals at this time. Uh, there's still potential to make changes uh, before putting uh, anything on the agenda for council's consideration. Um, option A is pretty simple. Uh, it is, uh, um, basically uh, eliminating the CIP policy. Um, and then without that, landlords of any size property would continue to be able to use the existing fair return process. Um, staff would um, make some enhancements to the existing fair return petitions, uh, including putting a section uh, specifically for capital improvements and a more uh, comprehensive schedule of amateurizations, uh, which means right the uh, uh, how uh, over how many years uh, those um, uh, those improvements that cost is spread. Um, 
Option A, because it is somewhat more simple, it's basically you know uh, get completely getting rid of one existing policy and maintaining another existing policy. Uh, tonight we're going to spend most of our time talking about option B, um, but that does not mean that staff is recommending one over the other. Uh, at this time, uh, our plan is to present both options. Um, and if council wants to eliminate CIP, there's an option to do so. If they want to keep the CIP policy, uh, we're going to present staff's recommendation for what a, uh, a best improved policy would be. So um, that option B, uh, revising the CIP policy, uh, would basically add some additional tenant protections while allowing more projects to qualify. Um, the proposal does maintain the moratorium limitation. So uh, in other words, only properties with less than 25 units uh, would be able to uh, apply. However, properties with 25 uh, or more units would be able to use uh, the fair return uh, petition process. So uh, again, with uh, either of the, these current proposals, uh, either way, um, the existing CIP for uh, South Shore uh, would, uh, would not be moving forward. We don't anticipate that changing. Um, that is what the, uh, the recommendation that staff's currently uh, uh, considering. Uh, and with that, I am going to hand things over to Ryan, uh, and he is going to talk uh, in a little bit more detail about what this uh, revised uh, CIP policy could look like. Testing. Can you guys hear me all right? Uh, my name is uh, Ryan Halpern. I'm an analyst with the Alameda Rent Program. And I'm here to just talk about uh, a little bit what a new CIP policy could look like. Um, what we have uh, at the top of this table here. Um, we're going to have property tiers so that only rental properties with fewer than 25 units would be eligible for CIP. Uh, two to four unit properties would be eligible for 100% pass through of the project cost. Five to 15 units, 75%. 16 to 24 units, 50% pass through. And then uh, 25 or more units, uh, not eligible for the CIP program policy, but uh, they would still have the fair return option. Uh, and so I'll get into a little bit more of uh, our thinking behind these property tiers in a bit. Uh, so the CIP pass-through, uh, this increase would not exceed 5% of the current rent. Uh, and any combination of a CIP pass-through plus the AJA or a bank rent increase could not exceed 8% of the current rent. Uh, minimum threshold, $10,000 for properties with 10 or less units and if it's going to be, if it's a property larger than 10 units, uh, it would have to be at least $1,000 per unit. So if it's a 20-unit property, uh, 20 units are receiving upgrades, it would have to be a minimum project cost of $20,000. And again, if it's a two-unit property or a four-unit property, six units, it would still have to be minimum $10,000. Uh, the new CIP policy proposal would have a tenant hardship exemption. Uh, tenants may be eligible for an exemption from the CIP increase based on income. The, uh, there would be qualifying improvements expanded. Uh, conversion of utilities for energy efficiency and conservation. 
Uh, again, these are the types of projects that can get approved with a CIP. Uh, it would be fire sprinklers and alarm systems uh, and replacement of stairs or railings. And something that would be different about this version of the policy as opposed to the current one is uh, only temporary relocation could be approved, not permanent relocation, whereas under the current policy, uh, a property owner could uh, exhibit the project is not going to be habitable. The unit wouldn't be habitable for the tenant. Uh, the project's going to take six or more months with an approval from the rent program. They could terminate the tenancy and provide the tenant with permanent relocation payments. Uh, and in the new policy, they wouldn't have that option of permanent relocation. All right. So we looked at uh, other cities in the state of California uh, that do administer rent control. And we found that nine of the of 20 uh, have a separate process uh, apart from fair return to process capital improvement plans. Uh, there you see uh, Los Angeles, San Francisco, San Jose, Oakland, Santa Ana, Hayward, Mountain View, Alameda, and Culver City uh, are the only uh, municipalities that have a separate process. All right, let's see here. Um, let's see, moving on to a little bit more information about what other cities do uh, in their CIP applications. Uh, I would note that, uh, you know, uh, Los Angeles, for example, 50% uh, project cost recovery. The increased cap, regardless of the tenant's rent, is $55 a month. San Francisco, they do have different property tiers. One to five units are eligible for 100% project pass-through. Six plus units, 50% uh, pass-through. Any seismic work is 100% pass-through. However, the rent increases, the, the CIP pass-through cannot be greater than $30 a month uh, or 5% uh, of the current rent. A, uh, then San Jose, 3% there. Oakland, 70% pass-through, uh, and that can't be higher than, the, the increase couldn't be higher than 10% when you include uh, the CPI or AGA. Some municipalities will just refer to it as the CPI increase. Uh, and a banked rent increase, and the pass-through couldn't exceed 30% over the course of five years. Uh, Santa Ana, 100%, caps it at 10% of an increase. In Hayward, it's a 50% project cost recovery uh, and a 10% uh, cap, including the AGA and banking. Uh, we especially focused on Mountain View because it is a, a city of similar size, similar renter population, uh, and again, those figures come from uh, 2017 U.S. Census data, uh, renter population. Uh, so there they have a property tier in Mountain View, one to five units, 90% pass through, six to 10 units, 75%, 11 to 19 units is 50%. Uh, but these increases cannot be more than 5% of the tenant's current rent. Then we have Culver City, 50% project cost recovery and 3% cap on current rent. And if if I can break in for uh, for just a second, Ryan, if you'll you'll notice uh, Alameda is unique among these cities uh, in first of all having a cost threshold uh, at all, uh, and secondly in having no sort of uh, cap on the amount of the the CIP pass through. 
Linux built. Uh, let's see here. So, again, getting back to those property tiers, something we looked at. Um, this also came from feedback from uh, one of our stakeholder meetings with landlords, is there's a difference between residential and commercial loans based on the property size. Uh, four or less units on a property still qualify for a residential loan. Generally speaking, lower interest rates, longer loan period times, 30-year mortgage, for example. Uh, if it's a, five, a property with five or more units, it would have to be a commercial loan. Generally speaking, higher interest rates, shorter loan terms. So there is a rule in uh, the state of California uh, that requires on-site manager uh, if there's 16 or more units on a property. Uh, so that's one of the things uh, that we considered as for these, these tiers of property. All right, here's some numbers uh, based on the registration data that we have in the Alameda Rent Registry. You can see uh, the 25 plus units account for 34% of the rental units, fully regulated rental units in Alameda. Uh, those would be excluded under our policy recommendation. So there would still be 66 units eligible for capital improvements. And the total number of properties, uh, there you see just 3% of the total properties, rental buildings in Alameda are 25 or more units. So we're still talking about 97% uh, of fully regulated rental properties being eligible for CIP. So something else we looked at with these tiers here is uh, the ownership type based on information we get from the uh, Alameda County Assessor's Office. Uh, as you can see here, two to four unit properties, 64% of them are owned by individuals and married couples, 31% uh, uh, trusts, 4% uh, LLCs, 1% are corporations or partnerships. Uh, there you see 5 to 15 units, 44% uh, owned by individuals. Uh, and then moving up to 25%, there you see that 51% of those are LLCs. Uh, there's a larger percentage of that pie that's corporations or partnerships. Only 7% of uh, those larger properties, 25 or more units, are owned by individuals and married couples per the county assessor's office. All right, so <laughs> this, this one's a little bit confusing, but the, the, what this is is a chart that shows what percentage of these properties have a owner-occupied unit. So for two to four unit properties, based on our registration data, 36% of those have a, are a unit ownered, <laughs> a unit registered to an owner, owner-occupied. So 36% of them, uh, we estimate are owner-occupied. Five to 15 unit properties, 12% of those. 16 to 24%, uh, 16 to 24, that's 7%. Uh, and believe it or not, there are two properties in Alameda that do have a property owner uh, registered in a unit uh, for these larger properties, but that's, again, just 3% of that pie. Um, Something else we looked at, too, is fair market rents. Um, these come from HUD's Metro FMR area uh, for the Oakland-Fremont region. Uh, based on a one-bedroom, uh, two-bedroom, or a three-bedroom, for 
properties smaller than 25 units based on the current rents in our registry. Uh, the current rents are lower here than the fair market rents as opposed to 25 plus unit properties where uh, the one bedroom and two bedroom current rents that we have registered are actually above the HUD's fair market rent. And so just another, another factor that we considered when, you know, ex excluding 20, these larger properties from, a, from being eligible for CIP based on some of this information. So limits on the CIP pass-through, uh, as we mentioned earlier, uh, these are generally going to be based on a 15-year amortiza amortization period, um, depending on the type of project, of course. If a pass-through is more than 5% of the tenant's current rent, uh, that amortization period is extended. I'll explain a little bit about that later. Uh, so and then any combination of that AGA, the annual percentage, or a bank to rent increase, or a CIP passer cannot exceed 8% of the tenant's current rent. And now for the fun part of doing the calculations on a theoretical pass-through rent increase. Uh, so in this example, we have a two-unit property. The, this meets our minimum cost threshold of $10,000, assuming a 15-year amortization period. Uh, Again, this is a two to four unit property, so it's eligible for 100% of the project cost recovery over those 15 years or 180 months. So you get to $27.78 a month. Again, you take $10,000, divide that by the number of units, and then divide that by the number of months, you get that $27. Uh, this, would be, this would not exceed 5% of the current rent, and if it's combined with the current AGA and maximum banked rent increase allowed, it would still not exceed an 8% increase of the current rent. And here is another scenario. Uh, this is a 24 unit property, which would be the largest kind of property that would be eligible under this proposal. Uh, assuming a $1 million project cost, 15 years uh, amortization, 50%, so remember the larger properties, 16 to 24 units, 50% of the costs are eligible to be recovered. So you take that, you see $500,000, divide that by 24 units, divide that by 180 months. In this case, that payment would be above 5% of this tenant's current rent. Again, tenant A, current rent's $2,000. If you do the 5.7.9 plus the AJ and bank rent increase, obviously it's gonna be above the cap. So what we have to do is spread out the amortization period from 15 years to keep that rent increase 5% above their current rent. Excuse me, CIP passed through 5% above their current rent. Uh, and so that would take 208 months to keep it at a $100 increase, which in this case would be a 5% increase. Uh, and then it's still the, the landlord would not be able to take a banked rent increase because it can't exceed 8%. So this year, in theory, all they could do would be that $100, $100 CIP increase and the AGA would keep them under that 8%. All right, last one here. So this is the same property, but this tenant is paying $3,000 in rent. So that same pass-through, you calculate the 115.74. 
that would not that would only be a 3.8% uh, increase of their current rent. However, in this case, the landlord could still not combine a maximum banked rent increase with the CIP. It would exceed 8%. Eight, eight, eight um, so what the landlord would have to do is adjust that banked rent increase to 4.1%. That would, that would keep them at 8%. All right, some few, a few things we've added uh, that we wanted to add to the qualifying improvements, and of course we'd like more feedback on this. A conversion of gas utilities to electric, uh, fire suppression systems, stair and railing improvements, plumbing electrical HVAC systems for less than the entire building. All right, so I think um, we can, should we move on to, Public comment? Uh, yeah. All right. So I we didn't sorry, we didn't bring speaker notes. So I wrote down three names. And if those three people want to come up and speak, I'm going to go around the room here and just write down anyone's name who wants to speak. We also have people waiting on Zoom. And let's see. Karen, I believe, was the first one up. Oh, before we call people, one second. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for coming. I just want to give a couple of announcements to uh, everyone here and on Zoom. Um, I noticed that folks are taking notes on uh, and taking snapshots. We can make the PowerPoint available to the attendees so that you don't have to work so hard in scribing. We can, uh, folks who have registered, we can send it to you by email, um, and we can probably post the information so that you can uh, focus on listening and uh, not work so hard on your wrist. Uh, and, I, and I also want to share with you that uh, appreciations for the three council members who are able to be with us today. I know Mayor Ezzy Ashcraft was here earlier. She indicated that she is now participating by Zoom. Council members Tracy Jensen and uh, Council member Trish Harris Spencer are both here. Thank you so much for being here. Members of the community, we really appreciate your attending. We look forward to your comments and uh, we look forward to answering your questions. Thank you so much. All right, Karen. Hi, um, my name's Karen Miller and I own a six unit building in Alameda. Um, we bought it in 2003. Uh, it's expensive to keep up an older building. This is a Victorian. We've replaced the foundation at a cost of 61,000, the windows at 25, the roof at 30,000. Our building was last remodeled in 1987 prior to us built, buying it. We don't have a lot of turnover, but last year's longtime tenant left and it cost $25,000 to remodel that unit. This year we had another longtime tenant leave and that remodel cost $50,000. Yes, we get higher rents from the newer tenants, but the last one will take four years of rent to break even. We have been putting all the rent payments into the building and at the moment have very little money in our bank account. I don't think that tenants appreciate the cost of maintaining a property. Our costs are higher than the capped increases that we are allowed under the AGA. We pay for water and garbage that both have gone up exponentially. The latest school bond added to those costs. We bought this property as a vehicle for retirement income as we don't have any pension. The current CIP policy is not workable and I hope the city will approve one that can work for the smaller housing providers. Thank you.
Hi, everyone. I'm Stacy Rodriguez, a South Shore resident and a 30-year or more resident of Alameda, and all that time I've been a renter. I want to say thanks to the, uh, the team and your efforts, as well as the city council members and the mayor. Um, again, we're here as South Shore Tenants Association um, advocating for no CIP. We want that to be retroactive for South Shore. Maintenance on buildings does not include improvement. Our goal and our hope is that you all are um, driven toward keeping families in their homes. Um, an 8% increase um, with the rent that I pay would be almost $300 a month, which is untenable. We hope that um, you see the value of keeping money in Alameda and not in out-of-state corporate investors' pockets. Relocation is not a solution. I've either by choice or by force um, been relocated in Alameda eight times. My goal when I moved to South Shore was to never move again. Um, rent stabilization and rent control needs to be protected. 5% uh, is, I think, reasonable. Um, the CIP puts rent control in jeopardy, and some of these other suggestions also put rent control in jeopardy. We're at a precipice, and uh, I think that the long-term goal for Alamedans, Californians, and humans should be to keep things regulated and controlled. Again, that we, we ask that the recommendation for CIP to be abolished and to keep rent control intact at 5% max or less. Thank you very much. All right, uh, next we have Diane. I didn't really prepare anything. I, um, I was part of a focus group of tenants, and so we learned a lot of this before. I see a couple things have been modified, and like Stacy said, we're for abolishing CIP altogether. Um, one really good argument for that is that you have only had two applications this year and a handful over the past whatever five years, and it seems like an awful lot of time has been spent on all of these modifications and 5% versus 8% versus 100% versus no percent. And um, I, I really advocate for that. However, listening to you, and it's not a however, because I still advocate for that, but I did want to comment that South Shore, since it's been the only real tangible big um, application you've ever had for 24 million, we can learn a lot from it. And one thing um, that I learned is that if you have any kind of CIP policy, it's not fair to calculate what a, a tenant pays based on some formula, based on the cost divided by this, divided by that. You, it, what would be more fair or fair is to take into consideration the tenant's real life situation they, they depend on the AGA. We depend on maybe some banking now and then. 
but we don't depend on a sudden extra 5% anytime. So I think a whole revamping of how it's calculated is really in order if you go, if you go that route. Los Angeles has a $55 cap. Am I, is my time up? <laughs> it is. Thank you very much, Dan. Okay. So you consider that. Okay. Uh, and if there's, if there's more time later, too, we can come back. Uh, there's a couple people that are raising their hands in the Zoom uh, chat. We can do a couple more in person, and then uh, anyone who's listening on Zoom, of course, raise your hand. Uh, Jason and Amy in the Zoom will get you to you next. But let's go to uh, Ephraim. Ephraim and then Laura. Good evening, everyone. Just uh, real quick, um, and I know you have heard me say this um, over and over and over, but you know, previous owners have pocketed every rent increase that we have paid, and there have been no improvements to the property. Now we're being asked from a new owner to take care of the improvements that they now have implemented. I think that's utterly unfair and it's just absolutely uh, not acceptable. Uh, eliminating the CLP altogether, I think it's the best thing that we can do in order to move forward. The other thing is, is that not only are we paying rent, AGA, banking, but you may not be aware of we have to pay gas charges, trash charges, water charges, wastewater charges, administrative fee, and writ board fee on top of everything else. So there has got to be some type of a um, uh, limitations on how we are trying to pass these uh, uh, high costs to the tenants, it's just not right to do that. There are more pressing properties here in Alameda that I think the city should be focused on. There's been empty buildings after empty buildings for years that have been sitting. Look at Alameda uh, uh, Marina Village, that area. So why not concentrate on bringing in new business in order to help uh, the revenues for the city of Alameda. Thank you. Thank you. I, yes, thank you. Hi. It's hard for tenants to keep showing up for this issue after all these years of discussion. People work and have busy lives. Yet you've witnessed how many of us see what's at stake and are very concerned. Um, those who aren't, tenants who aren't tuned into CIP, people already living at their financial limit may soon be faced with a shock, like the South Shore tenants, when they're suddenly facing additional fees added to their rent on top of any AGA increase plus banking. I strongly favor abolishing the CIP policy because property owners have already have the fair return option. 
However, if city council decides that a fair compromise includes keeping a policy that requires tenants to pay into their landlord's investment, I'd like to understand why does federal right of fair return require the landlord to show financial need, but CIP and Alameda, a rent control city with some of the highest rents in the country, does not. I also don't see why, so I just want to add, like, make it really clear that means testing is um, is necessary for this to be at all fair, for CIP to be fair. I also don't see why tenants should pay extra for the random choice to live in a smaller property. I'm a tenant in a smaller property. Um, many small properties are owned by wealthy LLCs. Seniors and disabled tenants who are also very, already very vulnerable should be exempt. Um, a 2020 City of Alameda study showed that displacement has continued to be a problem in our city due to the, due to the high cost of living, including increasing rents. Um, therefore, racial and economic diversity has decreased drastically in Alameda. Is this the city we want Alameda to be? I don't think so. I'd like to see the CIP policy abolished. Thank you. Thanks, Laura. Uh, so let's see if we can get a couple of our Zoom attendees involved. Um, James, are we able to unmute uh, Jason uh, on the Zoom call? Jason, you had a question for us or a comment? Uh, I would like to uh, talk. Can you hear me? Yep. Yep, okay. we can hear you. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you for taking my uh, comments here tonight. And I would like to go back to our end of our last discussion uh, as Trish Spencer, um, the team that was there and had to have an immediate rush on the $24 million for the South Shore apartments, they didn't have their T's and I's crossed. We should have never had that meeting in the first place. That meeting should have never occurred whatsoever. And the mayor talked to them, put a stop to that, and they all voted for it to end immediately. Should have stopped. I concur with E-Frame on that. It should be abolished and never set into play. These, these items that we're talking about, all the charts that you showed us, I could make those charts up. You didn't have one date, one date when those charts were made up to show everybody. You didn't show one date on there. And, and you're talking about different cities. When when the third second speaker spoke with the, I'm sorry, I didn't catch your name. The guy with the beard there um, was talking about uh, Palm Springs, and and he hesitated there for a second, and then he said, "Well, let's move on to something else." He caught something, and we moved on to something else. And I didn't. He wanted to move on because it was something that was caught, and he moved on to Los Angeles and something more. We should abolish it. It's too high. And by the way, it's, there's been 115 to 12.5% decrease in the houses that are selling in Alameda. The properties have gone down. I don't know if you guys are aware of that or not, but the property value has gone down. People are not renting in the unit that I live in. It's, it's an old Victorian. There's 10 units. Now there's only six people who live here now. And it's going to continue to stay that way. You know, we should not have to pay for somebody else's expense. That's what we pay rent for. I don't get the write-off on it. Every time I say this, we do not get the write-off for taxes. They do. That's I, what I want to say. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Jason. Uh, could we go to Amy? 
uh, remotely on Zoom. Amy? Okay, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yep, we can hear you. Okay, thank you for taking my call. Um, and thank you for all the work that you've put into this. I know it's um, a lot to kind of pull all the pieces together. Um, I do support option A, which is um, eliminating the CIP pass through option. Uh, I also just wanted to mention that I, if there was gonna be a CIP, I agree with the person who um, suggests a means, a means test, even for, cause even for smaller properties, um, we can tell when our landlords have money <laughs> and um, they're not choosing not to put it into the property or I'm not really sure what's going on, but I think that just because it's a smaller number of units, it doesn't mean the funds aren't available. So I think we really need to show a means test and then also to consider whether the smaller unit property owners own multiple properties. Um, it's possible they have more than 25 units spread across the city, which I'm not sure if that would pop them into the bracket of this not qualifying um, for them. And, um, but I do understand, yes, that there is a lot of upkeep involved um, in all the buildings, but I also do feel like the, um, what we kind of hope that the money is gonna go to. So anyway, that's all I have to say. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Amy. Did we want to address the, she had a question about the owners owning multiple properties, right. considering that. I can, I think I can take that, Michael. Yeah, so uh, we've definitely heard, uh, that we have heard that feedback. Um, the current uh, policy proposal uh, is only looking at the number of units on the, the property that the, the CIP application is for. Um, there is some difficulty involved uh, in um, in figuring out, particularly when uh, there is uh, ownership uh, in LLCs and, and corporate, uh, whether it's the same uh, entity, same individual that owns, uh, you know, whether that can be considered. Um, <clears throat> they. Uh, uh, so it, it does, th there are a couple of reasons that at this time we're not considering um, uh, the number of properties, uh, you know, the total number of properties owned, uh, only the specific uh, property. But one is the, one is the administrative burden in trying to, to sort out uh, exactly what it means to have um, uh, <clears throat> a, a multiple properties owned by different uh, corporate corporate entities. Uh, that, that's. Did you do you want to add anything, Michael? I'm. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, let's go uh, back to the audience here. I believe uh, Amos was next. Good evening, and thank you, and thank you for holding the hearing. Um, just in short. Um, I support Mayor Ashcraft's proposal in option A um, that Alameda eliminate the CIP. Um, rent stabilization needs to be protected. Eliminating the CIP will protect renters for now and in the future. I am a longtime renter here in Alameda, um, a member of the South Shore Tenants Association. Um, been renting there for over seven years. Um, I could say only because of the location and our wonderful city, 
it's a wonderful place to live. But in terms of impact, in terms of safety, in terms of security, it is not. Um, in reverse order, just going back, just the last two weeks, um, three of our bicycles, just say, it sounds petty, but it's a recurring problem to have a management company invest in security cameras two years ago after 21 vehicles were broken into simultaneously overnight in three of the building's uh, garages. So many improvements have been made, so to speak, but the security, safety, and quality of life has not um, relatively or qualitatively uh, improved with that. Um, as another uh, Renner and, 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 um, of Southshore said, um, to hoist or foist all of this upon the current renters um, is, is unjust and a sham. Um, to actually just uh, make these improvements as an investment and to expect renters to pay for this is, is, is too much to bear and unsustainable. I, I encourage you to eliminate the CIP um, and to protect renters' interests in doing so. Thank you. All right, next up is Garfield. Um, and uh, Ryan, I believe a woman in the third row might be interested. In... Hello, my name is Garfield Kincross. I've been in this city uh, for a long time, uh, probably over 30-some years. I had to move from Oakland here. I used to work on the naval base. Uh, they raised my rent everywhere I went in uh, Oakland. And uh, it's been a lifelong struggle. Uh, I was here when, uh, I guess they would call it ground zero, when a lot of the council members came to uh, view the situation at 470 Central, which uh, speculators bought the mom and pops rent uh, units. And then, you know, I went through a lot of, a lot of uh, problems with that, uh, people wanting to come in and see my apartment. You know, after like 24 years I lived there, Oh, can we see your apartment? It was like totally invasive. Uh, that was heavy-handed then. And we had to struggle for this L1 against this L1 and M M1 measure where the uh, Apartment Association of California uh, played a, a, a trick on the voters, you know, and they called us radicals, you know. This whole room was full of people one, one, one evening, and they had a problem uh, with an altercation. In this case, they're, they're, uh, they came up with uh, South Shore with this Black Rock or Blackstone Company, and, and, and they are, uh, they're trying to set a precedent and, and tear down this rent control that we fought for Now that we're down. Thank you. All right, let's do uh, Leslie and then Soon Ju, 
and then we'll go back to the Zoom. We have uh, anyone also uh, that's uh, listening to the Zoom remotely, uh, if you have any questions or comments, please raise your hand in the Zoom. Uh, and next up, yep, Leslie. Hi, yeah, um, I'm Leslie Carter, and I'm third generation Alamedan. My father worked at Incidental Terminals his whole life, and um, I managed, the only one in the family, to get a small rental property. And as far as the CIP, I never even knew it existed. I've been a landlord for 30 years, and I didn't hear about it when it came through. I thought I was up on everything. And so I feel like a lot of the landlords in Alameda, the small ones, probably don't even know about it. I know that a lot of my friends in my neighborhood who are landlords, when I bring it up, they, they have no idea what I'm talking about. And also I was wondering too, you didn't mention painting the building in your list. And I was just wondering because I have a duplex and my tenants, um, well, first of all, it hasn't been painted since the 60s and it's just literally peeling and stuff. And it, the bids were upwards of $60,000 and I've never been able to pull that off. And when I heard about the CIP, I thought this might be something I, I might wanna look into, but I don't want to impose it I only want to impose it on one of my tenants. I know that sounds bad, but because the other tenants are already playing market, and I don't want to put m money on a market. Somebody's paying market. I don't want to lose them. They can go somewhere else. I mean, I was wondering, can you kind of pick and choose who who you can you who you can put the money on? And then I would also like to do a small amount, amount that I would prefer. And um, anyway, and I, I don't think you guys should. Um, get rid of the, uh, the, the CIP for South Shore Beach and Tennis Club only because the owners, that would be reneging on that deal. I don't like that. Although I do have sympathy for the tenants, I would like to see them be means tested or have some sort of a, some way that they could stay in, the, in their places. Thank you. Uh, there were a couple of, of uh, questions there that, uh, that I think we can address. Um, did you, did you want to? Were you going to say something, Ryan? <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, no. Um, uh, it's the uh, painting of a building is um, an eligible CIP project under the current CIP policy. So we didn't spend too much uh, time going into uh, into detail about what projects currently qualify. We were focused on what we are adding uh, as part of the new uh, policy, but. Uh, Painting is definitely eligible, um, but it does need to meet that cost threshold formula that currently exists uh, with, uh, with the CIP policy. Um, in terms of um, uh, applying the, the pass-through to different tenants, the pass-through can only be, the amount of the pass-through has to be calculated um, based on every rental unit uh, or every dwelling unit that benefits from the improvement. So something like painting that's done to the entire building, uh, that uh, amount of the pass-through has to be divided by the total number of dwelling units. But you as a landlord, uh, if you were to choose, you know, that, that's the maximum amount that you're able to pass through. You as a landlord, if you decided to uh, to not impose that pass through uh, on certain tenants, that's your uh, that's your prerogative. Uh, it, it, does that did that answer your question? I'm sorry. Okay. All right. Uh, James, is it all right if I share the screen again just to show uh, 
some of the existing uh, improvements or repairs uh, that are in the current policy. Um, yep, there you can see up on the screen. These would be, this is the current CIP policy. And so what we were discussing is adding a few items to that, but they're number four there, exterior painting or installation replacement of a siding on all or substantially all of the building is on the, in the current regulation. Uh, and with uh, the the policy staffs, you know, the draft proposal, uh, staff isn't looking at eliminating any of these uh, existing uh, qualifying projects. All right. Um, let's go to, uh, on the Zoom, we have Mariana. Mariana, can you, uh, can you hear us? Can you hear me now? Yep, we can hear you. Okay, great. Good evening and buenas noches. Thank you for your time, everyone. Thank you, staff, for this presentation. And thank you, especially SSTA, for your continued hard work on this issue. I, Mariana Grajales, believe the CIP should be eliminated for Alameda as a whole for all properties. It is not fair, and in the case of South Shore, it takes hard-earned money from Alameda residents and funnels it to out-of-state corporate interests. For a property like South Shore that has ongoing safety, security, and habitability issues, to ask us for more money is at best a sad joke, at worst, corporate greed. Eliminate CIP now. Thank you, everyone, for your time. Thank you. Uh, next speaker uh, in the audience, we have Soon Ju. Hi, my name is Soon Ja Kim, and I'm 70 years old, and I'm at South Shore Apartment. And I really do like my unit, and I like the people work there. However, you know, um, I read 450 reviews for South Shore, and there's most of them is very, very negative. Rat issues, mold, black mold issues, all kinds. And I know a few of my friends moved out because of the mold issues. And the security, my, my daughter-in-law's car got stolen there in that garage. And this is, I'm 70 years old. This is the first time in my life where I had to pay the sewage and water bills to the to for my rent so i pay about 300 dollars for utilities or sewage rental fees all of that on top of my um rent and i just don't understand it and there are so many empty units in the building and some of the commercial things that they could rent it's been empty for two years that i've been there so there's so many other areas where the owners of South Shore can get the um, money back for the improvement that they do make. And so I just don't see how they would want to take it from us. We are already paying a huge, this is the highest rent that I have ever paid in my seven years. So um, please, please take a look at what the owners of South Shore Apartments are trying to get from us, where they are not doing enough work to get new clients in. So the mold problem, I said to the management, um, you've got to do something about the mold. And they said, well, it's your tenant's responsibility. Okay, thank you. Thank you. All right, uh, we have on the Zoom, uh, Stephen has a question for us. Stephen? 
Hi. Um, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Okay, great. Um, actually, it's Jeanette. Um, Stephen and I live together um, at South Shore. And, um, you know, with the CIP, you know, nobody's addressed what the tenants went through when they did all this construction. Um, I remember them doing a jackhammer for weeks. And, you know, it, it blew me away. I had to go and spend six weeks in Santa Barbara so that I didn't have to hear the jackhammer and the hammering and the, the screwdrivers or everything just going, you know, it was completely noisy. Um, luckily enough, I don't work from home, but I know a few people do. Um, and they just said they, they don't know, you know, how they got through it. So my question is, is we paid rent through those one and a half or two years of what I want to call hell. Um, and what would they do for us that, you know, to, to take that um, burden off of us, you know, having to live here while they renovated so um, that's just my question. It's like they want money, so why didn't they pay us to live here while it was going through so much construction work? Okay, thank you. Um, <clears throat> one thing that we have not uh, mentioned uh, tonight, uh, but um, in addition to the petition process for landlords that we discussed, there's a petition process for tenants as well. Uh, and it allows tenants to petition for a downward adjustment in rent uh, based on uh, potentially uh, some of these uh, uh, quality uh, issues uh, that have been brought up here. Uh, if there are issues with, uh, with mold that a tenant feels is not being addressed by their property manager, uh, if there were issues with uh, uh, construction affecting quality of life, these are potentially things that uh, landlord, or I'm sorry, that tenants would be able to petition uh, petition for, uh, make their case to a hearing officer, and the hearing officer could decide that they were entitled to have their rent reduced. All right, uh, we have a question from Joe uh, in the Zoom audience. Hello, can you hear me? Yep, we can hear you, Joe. Cool. Uh, I think I'm maybe a little bit of a younger demographic here, um, but tenant at South Shore, um, I do recognize that both of the options that were proposed today uh, would, uh, you know, kind of take South Shore out of the equation, um, but did have a couple comments or questions here, just uh, the overall program. Um, one, was there any thought or consideration into uh, the idea of ensuring that landlords are prioritizing proper projects um, and that if there are significant quality of life issues, whether it be mold or security or anything like that, when they are attempting to use capital improvements for, you know, some ancillary thing that that actually gets shut down first uh, to ensure the tenants are actually getting a, a direct benefit first. Uh, and then secondly, uh, there was a comment made about the, um, comment made about the, um, Organization or landlords owning multiple 25 unit properties. Uh, and it sounded like the reason we are not, or nobody's exploring ensuring that doesn't happen and that they don't kind of uh, trick the system there is just administrative overhead. Uh, I was curious, is that administrative overhead on the council? Um, is that administrative overhead for, for the landlords themselves? Uh, if it is on the council, seemingly that is kind of maybe your job. Uh, so just curious, um, you know, the, the, a little bit more understanding there as to why we would potentially let 
larger organizations off the hook. Um, I think I can address. Uh, I think I can address those. Uh, so the uh, the the first thing is that again the 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 capital improvement uh, program is specifically for uh, these uh, these specific types of improvements that are identified in uh, uh, in the policy. So uh, things like seismic improvements, um, more efficient uh, HVAC and plumbing. Um, it, when it comes to uh, you know s significant quality of life and security uh, issues not being addressed, uh, if tenants uh, feel that's the case, uh, those those tenant petitions for a downward rent adjustment are really what the uh, the rent ordinance imagines as being able to address uh, those types of uh, issues when tenants feel that those are are not being properly addressed by their landlord or, or property management. Um, uh, <clears throat> I guess in terms of the, the, the multiple um, uh, owners owning multiple properties, um, uh, you know, that would, uh, that would be uh, the, the city's rent program staff uh, that, would be, that would be processing those. Um, and, and you know the the administrative challenges are uh, uh, are only part of it. Um, I think our our assessment as staff is that it won't necessarily uh, have that that large of an impact um, on uh, <clears throat> on the ground in terms of what uh, it actually means in terms of who's applying. But certainly, uh, one of the things that we're doing here tonight uh, is uh, is trying to get that feedback and to get a sense of what sorts of things are really top priorities of, uh, of the stakeholders and the people who have made the time uh, to be here and made their views known. So, you know, we've heard uh, from two people now saying that they think that that's uh, a very important thing. Uh, even if it's not necessarily included in the uh, final proposal that staff puts together and presents to council, uh, we are trying to put all of those views in the staff report uh, to include all the things that we heard that uh, tenants and landlords said they would like to see uh, in the policy. Um, and that's certainly something that we'll, uh, we'll include in that staff report, mentioning that uh, uh, several uh, tenant participants mentioned thinking it was important to, uh, to have that unit limit apply to the total number of properties owned by the, the applicant. All right, uh, before I go back to the Zoom, did anyone else in the audience think of a question or have a comment uh, before we go back to the Zoom callers? Um, see, I think we have Trish and then Diane again. And then we'll go, then we have a few hands raised on Zoom as well. So we'll do two in person and then back to Zoom. Good evening, I wanna thank you all for being here, the people in the audience as well as staff that's here. Uh, my question goes to, in regards to a tenant petition, is, is that something that had to have already happened in regards to the renovations at the um, South Shore Apartments, or is it something that the tenants could do now? Thank you. Um, I think if, if I understand, uh, it's certain, uh, at this point, uh, tenants at South Shore uh, would be more than welcome to uh, file a petition 
based on uh, some of the things that have uh, that have been expressed here uh, tonight. That's certainly something that uh, is still at this point uh, available as an option, um, and you know, uh, in the near enough uh, past that I think a, a hearing officer would uh, would consider it uh, as you know a part of evidence of a petition that was presented to them. Yeah, just to add to that, usually the hearing officers can go back three years. Uh, they, I know they can go back further than that, but when it comes to uh, if there are any adjustments at all to the rent, they can't go back further than three years, but they will uh, you know, take testimony and uh, documentation of things that happened longer than three years ago. All right, let's see. We had next Diane. Something quick. Um, the caller, one of the callers a little while ago, just said something about did, was was the work prioritized, the capital improvement work prioritized, and that that got me to thinking prioritized by whom? Um, the the roof, the roofing, the siding um, are to prevent water intrusion. But was there, was there an assessment of where the water intrusion was in South Shore? And did, did the work that they do actually address that? And those are the kind of things, I think we've had a lot of experience and you've had lots of testimony from South Shore people that you know, we, there's a lot to learn from that. Uh, the painting of the outside of the building has not lasted one year, seriously. And if you come and look at it, you'll see. So these are the kind of things that I think, um, you know, you said, first of all, you, you, you assess, was the work done? Is the document, documentation there? I think there needs to be a more thorough assessment of was the actual work done in the right way, at the right places, and did it, did it benefit the tenants? And an inspection. All right, let's go back to the Zoom. Uh, we have Ryan on the Zoom. Ryan? Hello? Yep, we can hear you. Oh. Hi, uh, my name is Ryan Olivio, and I am a South Shore tenant. Uh, just wanted to first thank uh, the rent staff for putting together the awesome presentation, um, and council members Tracy and Trish for showing up today. Um, and just to reiterate, um, others, that you've heard today, I definitely encourage the uh, um, abolishing of CIP. Um, I just had a quick clarifying question um, in the PowerPoint. Um, there was an awesome grid comparing Alameda to other cities. And um, can you just reiterate what Alameda does currently that's unique compared to other cities? Uh, yes, and uh, Ryan, maybe you can put that slide back up. Um, uh, but there are, there are two things that are part of the current CIP policy that uh, the, the research that we've done looking at um, what we think is every other uh, rent controlled jurisdiction in California, those that have a, a CIP process uh, like Alameda does, there are two things that, uh, that it seems uh, Alameda is unique uh, among those, uh, so these jurisdictions listed here. Uh, the first thing is this second column, uh, where uh, if Alameda was listed here, Alameda would have a cost threshold of eight times 
the, uh, uh, the average rent. Uh, every other uh, jurisdiction, as you can see here, does not have a cost threshold like that. Uh, staff in our proposal uh, at this time is likely going to maintain uh, some sort of cost threshold, uh, but part of the idea is that it should be um, uh, it shouldn't be based on a formula, and it shouldn't be such a high uh, hurdle to clear, so that uh, you know things like a painting uh, job on a small property could uh, could qualify. Um, <clears throat> uh, the other thing uh, to note is in the final column here, this uh, pass-through increase cap. Uh, every other jurisdiction here has something in that column. There's a wide variety of what the exactly what the cap is and how it works, and is it a percentage, is it a flat amount, uh, but all of them have uh, something. Uh, Alameda's CIP policy at this moment uh, does not have it. It's simply a matter of what is the total cost uh, that was spent on qualifying improvements, uh, and what is that amount amortized uh, over the useful life of the improvement? Uh, next uh, question we have from Zoom is Darcy. Darcy? Hello. Hi, Darcy. Yes, hi. Just unmuting. Um, I just have one uh, pretty, I think, pretty simple question. I'm wondering what the timeline is for the decision process on the CIP. I mean, when would it be likely to go to the council? How long would that take? And what uh, what do you expect to have happen? Um, I can uh, say that we are in the process of trying to schedule a specific date uh, for City Council to uh, consider uh, changes to the CIP policy, but uh, we are looking at trying to schedule something in October. Um, we don't have a specific date we can give you just yet, um, but you can. Uh, um, uh, if you're signed up uh, with the rent program, uh, we can get your email address and uh, we'll uh, you know, be putting information out uh, as that is scheduled. You can also just look at the, um, uh, the, the city council's uh, uh, online uh, agendas uh, and look for when that is scheduled. Um, Michael, I'm going to ask you about what like, timeline in terms of implementing if, if council were to adopt one of the, the options. Uh, what would happen is that if the council were to uh, make an amendment to the CIP policy through an ordinance, the council would uh, introduce the ordinance at, it, um, at, at its meeting. There would be a second read of that um, at the next council meeting, and it would take effect 30 days thereafter. Uh, if the council decides to uh, eliminate the CIP, currently, uh, the res there's a resolution, the council could rescind that resolution which would otherwise take effect immediately, but the difficulty or the stumbling block there is that the ordinance currently makes various references to the capital improvement plan, and so there need to be an ordinance amendment for that to take those references out of the rent ordinance. But as a practical matter, if the council were to uh, decide to do away with the CIP policy, uh, it essentially would be effective at the time the council rescinded that uh, that resolution. 
Otherwise, the revisions would go into effect about 45 days or so after the council uh, introduced the, uh, the ordinance change. All right, I think we have one more question on Zoom. Stephen, uh, you had your hand uh, raised. I don't know if you had another question. Stephen? Can you, can you hear me? Yep, we can hear you. Oh, I'll go for it. Where's the timer? Okay, thank you. Um, I want to just give a couple vignettes here. Um, I talked to a bunch of the foremen and other workers who worked around this property we spoke of dry rot all over the place that they could like put their hands through or a screwdriver through with no problem being just painted over by the paint. One of them actually said that the buildings are being held up by the paint, which is obviously a bit of sarcasm, but, uh, and, and that image you should keep in mind because a lot of what's been done here at South Shore is, is just like that facade with a rotten interior. And that goes for a lot of the repairs they've done there were people living on third floor apartments, that's the top floor, who were home because of COVID, who never once heard a hammer swing on the roof and they were told that they had new roofs put on. So that raises questions. Um, I, I uh, Also in the garage, they claimed that they did earthquake proofing in the garage. But if you go and look at the garage of building E, all the work was done along the base of the concrete columns in that garage. and. My understanding of earthquaking of a, of a parking garage is, is the connections are solidified between the top of the column and the floor that it supports above it. It's not work done at the base of the column. Um, we've been, we've been, we live under a constant threat of crime here, serious crime, guns being pulled on people uh, with, with precious little attention paid to that, cosmetics only. A man sits in a car at night and tells you drink to your face. He will not challenge anybody he sees coming in there. He's from security. He won't challenge any anybody he sees coming on the property. And what threats have you received in terms of lawsuits from this, these people in Texas that if you don't rule a particular way, they're going to come after you, the city of Alameda, which then would give you incentive to screw us, the tenants. So what's up with that? Thank you. Um, I guess one other thing that we uh, did not quite mention tonight is certainly if there are any uh, uh, safety concerns uh, about uh, uh, you know, about structural safety uh, or anything at uh, any uh, at any rental unit uh, in the city, uh, you want to contact the city's code enforcement uh, division. Uh, we have no further questions in Zoom as of now. Uh, someone else wanted a couple more comments. We got a little bit more time. Oh yeah, if you if you don't mind coming up. My name is David Cortland, and I'm a uh, a uh, apartment owner, small apartment owner. And I think the comments I've heard today kind of are. I've heard them a lot about South Shore, but with this policy you're talking about changing is for the city of Alameda. I hear small business, small uh, apartment owners like myself generally are trying to take care of their tenants with improvements 
that are not just painting so that it's holding up the walls. This is not the case for, I bet you, 99.9% .9 of the small uh, apartment buildings that are here. So I don't want that to get be misinterpreted by the, the council. Um, it seems like these should be separate uh, items. <laughs> Dealing with South Shore is one thing. Certainly the problems they have over there, apparently, but I don't know, speak to those. What I know for myself is that when I work with my tenants, is that I work on their behalf, I work jointly as a family to make them sure that they have a nice place to live and that they're not tearing up the place and it's being fixed appropriately. I spent a significant amount of money on retrofit, which I was for a small, soft store building. This is like $125,000 uh, item. Painting, all of this, lighting, um, fixing concrete next to the street that, I don't know, maybe probably should have been the city to do that, but I did it. And so I just want to kind of separate these two items for the council about what's happening in, apparently in South Shore versus the majority based on your graphs, which I appreciate. Many of those told you that we're, many of the rents are under the fair market rates. And I believe that that's true. And um, we have to really truly be able to see these are two separate scenarios. Most of the tenant, most of the landlords here are taking care of their tenants. Thank you. Stacy, you had one more? Hi again, thank you again for um, this process. I want to qualify the stopping of the CIP, the South Shore tenant situation, and then a resolution as to maybe putting some other things in place. Is it possible that there could be some finality in abolishing the CIP, period? Get that line item addressed and then not get embroiled with another five-year delay in working out the details between do we do it this way, that way, what about this scenario or that scenario? Um, since all of this has happened, another caller mentioned life at South Shore has been hell. You know, it, I do work from home. My sanity is compromised. How do you put a downward rent adjustment qualification on that? Um, you, you really can't because your your quiet and your sanity is is priceless. Your security is priceless. So I would like to advocate that the moratorium uh, be turned into an abolishment and then have that be a done deal. South Shore needs some peace. We need some resolution. We need to be able to move forward with our lives. And then further the discussions about solutions. And also, it hasn't been mentioned, is what could the city do to help landlords? Can there be an improvement, a building improvement program where they could apply for support from the city? You know, get people together to, to collaborate, like Habitat for Humanity. I'd show up with a paintbrush to help my neighbors. Thank you. 
Um, and unfortunately, I, uh, we, we don't have anybody here uh, representing the department uh, that runs it, but I believe that there are some grant programs uh, that would be available to, uh, uh, to low-income landlords uh, that would be able to use those grants towards, uh, towards improvements. Uh, but um, we unfortunately don't have any staff here that's, uh, that knows the details uh, about that. Yeah, and concerning South Shore, just so, it's, uh, so I think it's clear that Certainly, if the council were to abolish the CIP program, then uh, you know, then then all landlords, whether they have two units or 100 or 450, uh, would not be able, uh, able to use the CIP process. They would have to go through the fair return uh, petition process in order to get a rent increase above the uh, AGA. And and if the council decides to follow what uh, we believe the staff recommendation will be, and that is that units uh, properties with units that have more than 25 uh, rental units would not be eligible for the CIP, then again, South Shore would be included within that, uh, within that subset. And if they wanted to have a rent increase, they would have to use the fair return process, uh, not use the, any kind of capital improvement process that the council might, uh, might revise. I don't believe we have any further questions unless, oh, Ephraim. I think we've got uh, two more. So why don't we take more. these uh, two follow-up uh, comments from, uh, uh, and, then we'll, uh, um, and then we'll wrap up. Um, uh, maybe uh, Ephraim first, and then. Ephraim, please. And just as a reminder, anybody who wants a copy of the presentation emailed to them, uh, if you put your email address on that sign-in sheet outside, I'll send those to it. And then I'll try to get a copy of uh, all the emails that registered on Zoom as well and make sure we send out a copy of the presentation. I probably didn't say thank you in my first uh, presentation, but thank you all very much for, for all of your help and your support and the time that you have spent involved with this particular project. Um, the, the only question I have is who, um, will validate if a fair return application is um, um, submitted to ensure that all the documentation is um, uh, for authenticity purposes. Mm -hmm. And are these individuals, whoever they may be, are they um, certified uh, uh, accountants, uh, real estate uh, gurus, that's the only question that I wanted to ask about that. Sure. Thank you. See if I can answer that. Typically, uh, the decision concerning fair return petitions are heard by uh, hearing officers who are generally attorneys. And but what happens in the process, at least the ones that I've been involved with, is that the um, the landlord often will um, have legal counsel and that legal counsel will provide the information through an accountant or a real estate person or somebody else who is, uh, you know, who can present evidence to the hearing officer to justify what the landlord feels is necessary to get a fair return. Uh, the tenants or the tenant group that might be in opposition to that would have the opportunity to review those documents, 
certainly retain legal counsel if, uh, if they saw fit and had the, the means to do so. And they could contest that information in terms of its authenticity, whether it fell within the kinds of expenses that a landlord is allowed to uh, allocate to reducing the income. So it's, it's an involved process, there's no doubt about it. And again, uh, it depends on you know, if it's a fairly small, uh, small situation versus a petition that might involve South Shore, which you're talking millions of dollars, and, and it would be very complex. There's no doubt about that. Does that answer your question adequately? I was just going to mention that if the city of Alameda wants um, landlords to change out gas furnaces, gas water heaters, gas stoves, gas dryers, that's a huge expense. Every unit, that's a lot. And that might, the CIP program might be kind of like a carrot to dangle. So I think you guys should keep it. Thank you. Um, and uh, just to, uh, uh, just to clarify, uh, those types of uh, gas to electric uh, utility conversions is uh, something that staff is likely going to include in the expanded uh, type of, of qualifying projects. Um, that's it. Trish? Uh, thank you. I just had one follow-up question in regards to Attorney Michael Roush, your comments in regards to uh, the retroactivity of an abolishment of the CIP. Um, I thought that there was an issue there, but I didn't hear any uh, discussion in regards to that. Thank you. The question is, if the council were to uh, rescind the, the CIP policy, uh, would, it be, would it have the effect of uh, essentially not approving any pending applications or that had been uh, in, the, in the pipeline, as it were, specifically South Shore? And the answer is our position is that um, it would mean that South Shore could not proceed because the policy would no longer be in place and that the, uh, the council action would have removed uh, that property from being eligible and therefore they would have to follow a fair return petition if they wanted to get a rent increase. Um, with, uh, with that, uh, I'm going to uh, uh, bring, bring our public workshop to a close. I really want to thank everybody who uh, participated uh, or, or who just attended and listened, uh, both in person, on Zoom. Um, I know that uh, a lot of you have been to uh, several uh, of these events uh, and have been uh, very active in providing your feedback. We appreciate you one more time uh, participating in it. Uh, a lot of you got the word out uh, about this uh, workshop and told uh, other, uh, other tenants, other landlords uh, that it was happening. Uh, so I really appreciate that as well. Um, and uh, the uh, once this is put on the agenda for the city council, the, uh, the city council will, will welcome your, uh, your feedback and comment as well. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks, everyone.